Thank you, thank you. And a joy to be with you again. <coughs> Oops. My wife and I saw a, a movie the other night at home, a delightful, rather implausible movie, but it was called Yesterday. How many of you have seen the movie Yesterday? Great movie. It's about this guy, he, he, uh, at the same moment as he has a car accident, the world goes into this sort of 12-second 12, 12 stop. And uh, he comes out of the accident uh, remembering stuff that no one else in the whole world remembers. And the, the thing that he remembered most significantly for him, because he was a, a rather struggling musician and busker who was trying to make some money in a career that he really wasn't matched up to, um, <laughs> to his delight, he could remember all the songs of the Beatles, but nobody else could. And so he, this movie is called Yesterday, and it's based around the song, Yesterday, All My Troubles. No, I won't try and do his rendition of it, or the Beatles, but, but one of the songs that really got me going, and if you like the Beatles, you should watch the movie, because it's one of those delightful flicks that... It's got lots of songs that you can sing along to and the one that I found myself singing along to and really sort of made it, made the start of the movie was, all you need is, da 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 da, all you need is love. Ah, see, we've got a few enthusiasts here with us. Love is all you need. I mean, you, you can have the echoes going on for a while, Trevor. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. If I say to you this morning that God is love, you all go, yeah, that's right. And if I say to you that God loves you, you go, yeah, I understand that. But do you really understand it? Because the Beatles in that little tune, even though they didn't realise it, Hit the no, uh, hit, hit the whatever, the nail on the head. <laughs> that love is actually all you need. And God created us to be loved by Him. And as Christians, we celebrate that truth, often intellectually, but don't really understand it or grasp it emotionally, spiritually, deep down in ourselves. We understand it as a theological construct, but do we really understand that the gospel is about God loving us first and foremost rather than us responding to him? We become, as we heard in the little clip of the kids this morning, like Basil, we become very performance orientated. And much of our lives is spent like this, trying to make things grow and happen. And the story that we heard in the kids' spot is very similar to the story that I want to remind us of all this morning, is that it's being grounded in the vine that is most important and that life flows from him and him alone. And you might say, well, yeah, I know that and uh, how does that fit into all that we're going to share and maybe we can put the, the PowerPoint along. Uh, I'm following what your church has taken the initiative to do on living your life calling and understanding what on earth you're here for. Well, the first verse that's up there says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him Great pleasure. The key thought this morning is that you were created for God's pleasure. It's not so much about you as it is about him. And that the whole story of the gospel is God reaching out to us. And the whole story of humanity is that we try to reach out to God. We struggle and strive in our performance-driven world to try and make things happen, to try and connect with something that deep down inside there's this ache we know that we're made to love God. There's something 
profound inside of us that knows we need love and yet we can't find it as we strive and struggle to try and make it happen. The verse there says that long before he made the world, before anything else was even there, his big idea was to create you and me as objects of his love. He loves you. We quote the verse often, don't we? For God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus. He loves you. He loves me. And the key thought this morning that we need to remind ourselves of is what is the true impact of that in the way that you function and think if you really understand that it is God loving you that's more important than you loving him. I want to package that a bit with you this morning because there is an ache in all of us. And the songs that fill our radios are full of the cry of the human heart towards love and wanting to find it somehow or other. And yet the answer is that we are loved because God first loved us. God is love, period, (laughs) independent (laughs) to us reciprocating that love. The bottom line is God continues to love you. Whether you know him or not, whether you like him or not, whether you may be even an atheist or an agnostic or someone who's pushed God out to the periphery, the bottom line is God loves you and he's here right now expressing his love to you and to me personally. You may not feel it in the vibe of this room right now, in the atmosphere here, there are There are radio waves that are going along playing all sorts of songs and music. You don't have the receptacle to tune into it, but it's there. The music is in the room. The music of God is in this room, even though you may not necessarily feel him or sense him right now. He is love and he is here with us. And the gospel message is that there is a God who loves you more than you could ever know and who created you, as it says in the verse we put up there, for his good pleasure. And so the gospel is something that we need to receive rather than to do. And it's not about what we do. It's not about our performance. It's not about what we achieve. The first purpose of my life is to be loved by God. It's not to serve God. It's not to obey God. It's not even to love God. You say, well, I want to love, I need to love God. No, that, that can become a performance thing. It's not to, to love God so much as it is, is to be loved by God. We were made to be receptacles of God's love. The little book of Jude puts it like this. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus The brother of James says, I am writing to all of you who are called to live in the love of God, the Father, and in the care of Jesus Christ. To live in the love of God, the Father. My first calling is to enjoy a relationship with God. It's not about roles. It's not about rules. It's not about responsibilities that you carry. It's not about regulations. It's not ritual. It's not religion. It's rather relationship. And God chose you, chose everybody to come into a relationship with him because he so loved us. And where the whole purpose and meaning of life finds its energy from is when we accept and realise that God loves us, that there is a God who created us. And who loves us profoundly. In Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote, Dear friends in Rome, God loves you dearly and he has called you to be his very own people. We're called to be sons and daughters. We're called to be his children. Who we are in Christ, he has called you to be his very own people. If we could just understand and get our our minds around that this morning, that God is much more focused about you than you can ever be about him. He's so committed to your cause. That relationship God created you for is to be his son or a daughter. We talk often about... uh, 
our, our place in Christ and who we are. You know, God has chosen you to be his son and his daughter, and you are that right now. Listen to this verse in 1 John 3 and verse 7. It says, What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us that we should be named and called and counted the children of God. I love the way the Amplified Bible expands that out. Named, called and counted the children of God. And so we are. We're not called to be a slave. We're not a servant. We're not even a soldier. But we're a son, in my case, or a daughter in yours. The quest for love and purpose continues to drive people at a profound level deep down in their soul, trying to find what they've actually been created to respond to. That's the love of God to them. But they reach out trying to do it when God has already done it in his son, Jesus Christ. What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown to us. A lot of what we read in popular literature and in the culture of our day is about trying to find yourself, trying to know who I am. And there's all sorts of self-help programs and introspection and causes, courses you can do that cause you to look at yourself and within to try and find the purpose to who you are. There's a whole heap of effort that goes on in our culture towards trying to prove yourself, trying to make something of yourself, that maybe that way you can be the person that you're supposed to be to fulfil that sense of calling you have in your life. So we pursue career, we pursue money, we pursue, pursue fame, when really the bottom line thing is you'll find purpose and meaning, you'll find your calling when you realise You're a child of God. That you're loved by a father who's so committed to you. How did I finish off in that verse? And counted the children of God. And so we are. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 3, another fantastic verse. It says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. Just let me stop there for a moment. That he might be at home in your hearts. You see, the bottom line is this is not some theological construct of the mind. This is a revelation of the heart. As God touches you and I and transforms us from the inside out, it's what being born again is all about. It's something that comes alive in me when I understand that God loves me and created me to be his child. It's where it all starts. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. His marvellous love. Extravagant. Over-the-top love for us. That's independent to how you feel right now. It's independent to your mood or behaviour. It's independent to your state or even your response. The bottom line is God, love for you is the same this moment as it is in the next moment. As it was yesterday, it is today. He continues to love you, God's marvellous love. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, get these words, how wide How long, how high, how deep the love of Christ really is for you. May you understand, he says, grasp the enormity of this love. When we say God is love and that he loves you, do you understand that that is wide and long and high and deep? His love really is for you. May you experience the love of Christ Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Let's pick up on a few of those thoughts right there. It's wide enough to be everywhere. Whether it's in some of the slums that I've visited in third world countries, where the poorest of the poor might live, God's love is right there. Or whether it's been in some 
boardroom that I've been in, at the top of Melbourne, being there with some really powerful thinking people, sitting in this boardroom, and you know, where you would think there is the, 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 some of the cream of our intellect and our, our, our corporate thinkers. And guess what? God is there. He's everywhere. As I said before, his vibe, his atmosphere is, is permeating this whole universe. It's, it's here in this room right now. His presence is everywhere. It's wide enough to be everywhere. It's long enough to last forever. Never wears out. It never has a use-by date to it. Never stops. His love continues on. It's deep enough to handle anything. The depths of despair or in the depths of depression or the lowest of the low, God is there because he's deep enough to handle anything. Neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God. It's deep enough. To handle anything. As you're sitting here this morning, God's presence is here with you. As you leave here this morning, his presence is everywhere and it will go with you wherever you're going. It lasts not just for this moment here. It lasts forever. And he is committed to you in eternity as he is to you in this moment. It's deep enough to handle anything you're going through, any situational circumstance. The story of the gospel is a gospel of salvation. It's deep enough for anything. And finally, it's it's high enough to overlook even your mistakes, your faults, your imperfections, your inadequacies. And if you're like me, they're too numerous to mention. So... How does this love of God transform and change the way you practically live? And let's think about a few things this morning that can just challenge us about our attitudes to life and the way we approach life. Five key things that happen if you stay aware of God's constant love for you. If you really understand and appreciate this morning how much God is committed to your cause, how much God is with you, how much more God is for you than against you, If you can fully grasp that, and please, please capture it in your heart this morning. Because as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, at many levels this is something I already know, but I don't know it. I need to to know it again and again and again and again, that God is love and his love towards me is greater than ever I could understand or grasp. The first thing that you could mention and I could think about with you this morning is I feel accepted rather than ashamed. If God loves you, then what else counts? If God's committed to your cause, guess what that makes you? His son and his daughter. You don't need to compare yourself to the, to the, to the situations or people around about you. Guess what? You're unique. And God loves you for who you are, the way you are. Doesn't mean necessarily he'll keep you where you are because he loves taking you forward and developing you and causing you to change and transform. But he's committed to you right now as intensely as he ever could. He loves you. And so you don't need to compare yourself to other people. You're able to... Handle the criticism that might sometimes come your way from those, those people. In my role as a pastor, I know it's not always a place where of popularity. There have been plenty of people over the years that have come to me with their gripes and groans about me. Me! <laughs> yeah, you don't teach deep enough or... You know, you, you're not friendly enough or you're not this or you're not that. You know, or even worse, sometimes people can become very pointed in their criticism. And you know, because you've experienced it perhaps not in the arena of being a pastor, but in the arena of being 
at your work or even from within your family and family members, there's criticism all around about us because everyone's trying to compare themselves and compete with each other and one-upmanship is big in our culture. But you know, when I, when I understand that I'm accepted, then I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to compare myself. I don't need to... It's not that criticism doesn't affect you. You know, words hurt. But you, you rise above them because there's a confidence that comes from who you, you know and who is committed to your cause. God is for you. So who can be against you? Romans 5 and verse 1 puts it this way. By faith we have been made acceptable to God. And now because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live at peace with God. Uh, it goes on to say, and if God has chosen ones are acceptable to him, can anyone bring charges against them? Or can anyone condemn them? No, indeed. There's no shame. There's no need for you to live in an inferiority complex. You're loved by God. So learn to love yourself. God is for me. What can come against me? You see, I'm accepted, not ashamed. The second thing that's really important for you to remember this morning that flows out of God's incredible love for you is that I'm bold in bringing my needs to God. You've got a total access pass. You're a VIP God's committed to you as his son and daughter. One of the more unusual things I've done in ministry, uh, when I was on the, uh, on the heads of, of churches committee in South Australia, um, we were asked the op- given the opportunity to be part of what was then the opening of the, of the Southeastern Freeway extension and the tunnels that was all there. And they wanted someone to pray as part of the official service for the commitment of that, that whole new enterprise. Pretty neat sort of opportunity. And they said, well, you live in the hills. Maybe you should be it. So it was one of the more unusual things that I've ever been asked to pray for is for a set of tunnels and a freeway. <laughs> you might remember if you've lived in the hills that it used to be a rather torturous trip up through the devil's elbow and eagle on the hill and uh, many, many a time things came a cropper. So, you know, I remember coming down from Stirling to this opening and I'd been given a VIP pass. And when I got to the barrier that was the entrance to the new freeway, everybody else whizzed off up the old road and I flashed my pass and I was signalled through, VIP, one of the first people to ever drive through the tunnels and on that road. <laughs> and I pulled up at the, at the, at the place where all the car, a few cars, there weren't that many, all the, and most of them were were um, uh, chauffeur-driven cars because it involved the Prime Minister and other dignitaries and they all parked there and there was my humble little car as well and uh, I was given access into an arena where very few in our culture, in our city, had yet been. Why? Because I had the pass. said I was very important. It was a wonderful thing actually to be part of and I, I feel very honoured to have been able to pray over that whole project. So when you go through those tunnels now, just remember they're blessed, <laughs> really blessed. I looked at my prayer book and I couldn't find a prayer for the opening of tunnels. <laughs> so I had to make one up. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. But it was a privilege to be there with the Prime Minister and the then um, Alexander Downer who was our member of the area and foreign minister, of course, at that time, and others, and to be up there on the podium and then to move forward and to pray. It's a great privilege, honour, really. Amazing. Amazing that they allowed that to happen. But it's one of the few opportunities that I can reflect on in my life where I've had all access pass, a VIP. Maybe you've had it. Some context. Maybe you've gone to a concert and you've got one of the special tags that you hang around your neck and say, see, I'm one of them, VIP. But you know, you've got a tag that hangs around your neck that says VIP, son of God, daughter of God. It's right there. And it gives you a boldness to go where no one else could go. 
and to ask for the things that are intrinsic to being a son. I'm bold in bringing my needs to God. Listen to it here in Romans 8. All of you, all who are led by the Spirit of God, are children of God. And so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. And since we are his children, we share his treasures for everything God gives to his son Christ is also yours. It's ours too. The word there, father, dear father, Abba father, it really means dear daddy. You know, when my kids come to me, they just say, dad, I need cash. (laughs) They They don't come up to me and say, now, dearest father, if you could be so inclined to have mercy on me, amidst my unworthiness and my disloyalty and my unfaithful ways, if you could humbly in all benevolence, reach out and give me some money. Now, Dad, could I have some cash? Need some help. And that's the spirit in which you can come before your God boldly. Dad, I need you. And he's there, right there with his arms open, ready for you. Because when you understand the love of God towards you is greater than your love or response back to him, he's always there with his arms open, ready to not just give you cash, to give you whatever you need according to his riches and glory. And therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. You know that confidence is a great word. You've got, you can be confident to come before God. You're not some item on the agenda that's going to be looked at at some point. There's no little TBA behind you to be advised. Some time to be addressed. No, God is committed to your cause right now and you can become, come boldly before him. What's your need this morning? You know, he's more committed to you and your needs than you even are in terms of the awareness of your needs. The third thing is you have peace in pain that you sometimes don't even understand. You know, life hurts. We live in a fallen world and there's stuff that goes on. That's a product of the sin that's become Endemic in our culture, in our world. Richard prayed about this fallen world and the stuff that goes on in it this morning. But pain is there, but so is God there in the midst of your pain. And he can sustain you and help you. And when you don't understand what's going on, he can bring a profound peace into your world and life that transforms not necessarily the circumstance, but changes you in the midst of your circumstance. Listen to the words in Philippians 4 and verse 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Just this week I was communicating with a dear friend of mine in Sri Lanka, uh, Pastor Roshan, uh, his church was one of the churches that was bombed last year at Easter time. And uh, he lost uh, about 35 of his congregation. About another 80 or so were seriously injured. It was horrendous. His associate pastor got killed uh, and, and, the, and that pastor's son as this bomb went off on Easter Sunday and destroyed the church in Batakalo. Um they're having an anniversary, uh, an anniversary, a memorial service in memory of it all, uh, one year on in just a couple of weeks' time. We were talking about it. I was reflecting with him, and I've seen his testimony, and you can go on YouTube and there's a clip there from, you just put Roshan Badakalo and it'll come up, um, where he reflects on his attitude towards the bomber and towards the people that had brought such devastation and destruction. He talks about the power of forgiveness and the power of of God's presence in the midst of all the pain and the suffering that he had. The bombing 
was horrendous. But it wasn't all that that guy's gone through. He lost, again, uh, hundreds in his community and many directly in his church when the tsunami swept through his town in in the early 2002. Twelve, two. Can't remember when it was now. It's already a memory for me, but it's real for him. You know, I've seen the pictures of it. The devastation that happened in Batiklo, which is one of the, on a coastal lagoon, as that tsunami swept in across the Indian Ocean and took thousands of lives out, many in his church. And you go, gosh, the pain, the suffering that's in that one man's world. And as if that wasn't enough, he'd gone through 20 plus years of civil war before that. And I'd had the privilege of being there in the midst of many of those war-torn years, working with Pastor Barry Silverback and myself as we tried to train these young pastors. He was Pastor Roshan, who had been left suddenly to be responsible for a church of, 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 of over a thousand people. Big church, because his pastor had had to flee to save his life and was now part of the expatriate people, uh, the diaspora living in, in Canada. And here's this young pastor who had no training, just a young leader, suddenly responsible for leading this church and we had the privilege of getting in there with many of those leaders and helping them through to build the substance of what a church could look like and be despite the civil war that was raging all around about them. And again, hundreds of people were killed in that immediate community, if not thousands, and there wouldn't be a single family in that church that hadn't been touched in some way by devastation. And yet, in the midst of all that, the peace of God that passes all understanding can keep your mind and heart through Christ Jesus. Do you understand how committed God is to your cause? Do you understand how much he is there with you? in everything that happens in your life and world. I don't know your stories, but I'm sure there's some stories of pain here in the room right now. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you going through business crises. Some of you in the midst of health challenges. And there's suffering in our world. But in the midst of that, there is a God who is love. And he reaches out to us. And we say rather glibly, yes, I know that God loves us. Do you really know that God loves you? Because in the midst of your pain and suffering, whatever that looks like, God is there for you. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Note the two words, calling and purpose, tied together there. Fourthly, I gained the courage to take risks. They did a survey of, of senior folk at the end of their lives and I was reading it, reading it just the other day and it talked about three things that, that they would do differently if they could live their lives again. And the first was that they'd try and create a legacy to their lives. The second thing was that they would, would reflect more on what life was about and just take time to actually be more reflective. But the third thing was interesting, they would take more risks. You know, you think about your life and the many times that you've missed opportunity or where you've played it safe and haven't really achieved what you could have. And yet in the midst of the risks are often the greatest times of growth, the times of expansion, and it's where faith is released And where God lives, because he's the author of faith. I gain the courage to take risks. When someone believes in you, you can achieve beyond your dreams. I was watching John Millman playing in the Davis Cup yesterday. And he, both on the Friday and the Saturday, where he came back from what seemed imminent defeat, he commented about the, the thing that he drew on was the cheer of the crowd and his teammates that were there and the coach that was there. And they, they caused him to rise above what he could do in himself. 
You know, you've got God cheering you. You've got God on your side this morning. I have God on my side. And I can take courage from that to take risks that would take me beyond what I could do in myself. My wife and I felt, uh, well, I felt particularly about a year or so ago that, that we were to, to create a, our, our final home, if you like. Uh, we would, we had, I'd just come into retirement. We'd had an investment property and we, we knew we had to sell that. I didn't want to have debt going into retirement. But the home that we had was just too small for, for what we really wanted. How many of you know you get lots of grandkids when you get a bit older and they all want to, we wanted some space and we wanted a home that worked, was more workable. So I said, look, let's, let's build. But then comes all the anxiety. <laughs> Am I doing the right thing here? You know, against uh, economic meltdown and all the sort of words that are around about where our culture is at. What happens if I commit to this and suddenly I can't pay because I haven't got an income anymore? And, you know, we have to sell the house that we're in right now. And what happens if that doesn't sell and I'm ended up with double the debt? How many of you can identify with those sorts of feelings when you take risks? Might not be exactly about a house, but it might be something else where you just, the negative thoughts that you fight and come through. My good friend Trevor Pillar was there with me on Saturday when, huh? Last Saturday when uh, we had put our house on the market. You know, and I'm going through all this anxiety in myself on one side, wanting to trust God on the other, feeling the tension between the two, trusting God but doubting self. And thinking, what happens if this house doesn't sell? What happens if it doesn't work out? You know, and all these negative thoughts start to flow. And then Fiona said, but didn't God say he'd lead us and guide us? Didn't he? This is my wife. Didn't he? She said, Did, hasn't he led us thus far into the amazing outworking of what, I won't go through the full story, but a lot of lead up miracles to this point. Won't he sell our house? It doesn't always fall nicely like this, but I just want to tell you, we sold our house at the first open to the first person who walked through for a cash offer. (laughs) Doesn't always go that way, but I tell you what, when God is with you, you can have some courage to take some more risks. And I struggle with that just as much as you do in the decisions of life with where my mind says one thing and all the doubts build and grow, but there's a God who's for you and more committed to your cause than you realise. And if he's begun with you, is he going to leave you floundering over here? No, he's going to stay with you through the journey. And it may not be exactly like you thought, and it may not work like you did. And even there may even be suffering, but in the midst of that there's peace. And in the midst of, of, of the risks that, you are, that are intrinsic to life, he can give you a courage and a boldness to stand. The reality is that you plus God... Is always a done deal. <laughs> 1 John 4, 18. Now, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear, in fact, has to do with punishment. This morning, open up to Jesus here again. Open up to the Lord's presence in your life. You may be facing some risks or maybe you've put off taking some risks because you want to be in control. Remember what we said, self-directed, trying to make the, the branch of the tree grow and produce the grapes yourself, as we heard in the kids' story. You can't do it, but God can do it if you abide in the vine. If you draw upon him and his presence, take some risks. Step out with God and give him room to move. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. You know, in, in uh, 1 John 4 and verse 19, it says, uh, we loved God because he first loved us. He loved you first. You know, it's interesting, in, in the book of Revelation, talks of the, of the, of the different churches that are, are identified there, and the Ephesian church is told off for the problem that they had. Do you remember what it was? It was that you'd lost your 
first love. Now we often think that's the initial experience of God and the freshness of that opening love affair with God. But it's actually more profound than that. First love is that, what did it say in 1 John 4, 9? This is, this is love, not, this is, um, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He first loved us. The first love is the reality that God loves you. <laughs> not that you love Him. That comes as a consequence. But that He loves you is committed to your cause. Remember the story of the prodigal son? It should, really should be renamed the story of a loving father. Because it's the story of a father standing there with his arms open looking for the son to come back to him. Because he always loved his son. Even when he'd gone away with and squandered all his inheritance, his arms were still out because you have a God that loves you. He's more committed to you than you are to him or could ever be to him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. In John 1.12 it says, To all who believe him and accept him, Jesus gave the right to become the children of God. This morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, give over to him. He is so on your on your side. He is so committed to your cause. He loves you and knew you since before the whole of creation was put into being. He was there for you. <laughs> he knew you. Have you abandoned your first love? And stir it up again. Remind yourself this morning. Those of you who are committed Christians here, don't just be committed with your head. Commit with your heart and allow yourselves to be transformed. The last thing is this. You're called to be loved, which means I worship instead of worry. When you forget God is in control, you worry. When God is in control, you don't have to worry. What are you going to opt to? The position of panic or the position of prayer? Where, what's your default position going to be? Anxiety? Trying to make it happen, like the vine we saw in the kid's story. Mm, I've got to make this happen. Where you're in control, self-directed determinism. Or, or is it, God, you're in control. I don't need to panic because all things work together for the good of those who are loved by you and who are called in according to your purpose. God, you're with me, period. Not then and not now. No, then and now. All the time you're with me. Are you going to look to God or are you going to look to your problems? Worship is this. Worship is bringing God into every situation. That's what worship is. It's not just doing what we did here this morning. That's it. That's a beautiful part of it. But it's you can worship God in every situation you're in as you bring God into your situation. Are you going to look for God? Are you going to bring him into the circumstances of your life? You see, worry commits you to a life of being an orphan, devoid of your father and mother, of your father, of your spiritual father, living life in your own strength as an orphan. Or worship can draw you into a place where you're a son and a daughter, where you're in partnership with an almighty, loving Abba Father. And so Matthew says, uh, well, there's the verse that I just quoted before. Matthew 6, 33, 34 says, So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why worry? We, we will give you all, uh, he will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow for it's got enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So here's the challenge. Give yourself completely to God since you have been given new life. This morning we're here in church. We've got the opportunity to experience afresh what the calling of God on our lives is. And the primary calling starts with this, is that you're called to accept the love of God in your life, period. God loves you.
He's committed to you. Thinks you're amazing. This morning as I was praying, and I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, which I don't like doing, but I did, and I was praying for the service this morning, and I felt God gave me some specific words um, that I'm just going to say out there. And if you feel it might be for you, and would you come out the front at the end of the service? I'd love to pray with you. Against the backdrop of God's incredible love for you. I saw some of you felt like you were an ant, scurrying from this place to the next, tied up in all the busyness of your life, but frustrated in a level by its pointlessness and just wondering what this was all about. If that's you this morning, I'd love to pray with you. I felt there was someone here that's just feeling incredibly listless, flat, lacking in energy. The power of the Holy Spirit is here to just just give you that turbocharge that comes not from who you are and your own building up of your inner strength, but finding your strength in God. The imagery that I felt as well this morning is that was that of the widow that Elisha saw who, who had nothing but just an empty jar. And he said, go gather all the jars in the town. And God came and filled them. And I just felt like God was going to fill some empty jars here this morning. If you feel that's you, allow your pot to be filled with the amazing love of God that's there for you. And finally, I just felt, I saw a picture of, 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 a, of like a tarnished vessel that suddenly was rubbed clean and the luster and the beauty of what was underneath started to sparkle and come out. And I felt like God wanted to restore some former glory to some of you here this morning. If you feel any of those words just connect with you, then I'd love to pray for you after the service. But right now, why don't we all pray and commit ourselves to the God who is love. Father, all we need is love. The Beatles, in their own limited way, struggled with what songs over the eons of humanity have tried to put into expression, that we need love. But we don't realise enough that it's not love just of each other, however nice that might be. It's love from God and that you created us to be loved because it was in your desire to create humanity to give you pleasure. And so, Lord, this morning we we reach out to you and we thank you, Lord, that we can love you and reach out and receive your love that is just so committed to us. You know, in the Westminster Catechism, which is the summary of what Christian faith is about, it says this is the purpose of man. It is to love God and to enjoy him forever. Now, we often requote that in the experience of our lives. We say the purpose of man is to serve God and to obey him forever. No, that flows down the track, serving God and loving him, obeying him. What if, what's the essence of our lives and what we're committed to here this morning is that, God, you love us more than we could ever love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus that if we just believe in him, we wouldn't perish, but we could have everlasting life. We love God and we enjoy him forever. This morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that very simply by just saying, God, I've tried to push your love away, but I know you're here and I feel you and sense you and I need you in my life for all those things that we've talked about to give me the boldness, to give me the, the courage to overcome and take risks, to... to, to Feel your peace amidst my pain and suffering and the challenges of life. To just know that you're there with me. That I can worship you in every moment of every day. And feel your presence. If, if you know that God's speaking to you this morning, again, would you come out the front here? I'd love to pray with you at the end and just help you to know the incredible love the Father has for you. Lord, as we as a church here embark upon 40 days of clarifying what on earth we're here for, may we start understand clearly that it's about, first and foremost, your love for us. We live our calling based upon who you are, not upon who we are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for letting me share with you. And I'm aware that uh, what Rick Warren did in an hour and 10 minutes, I've tried to do in 30 minutes. So um, hopefully you've gained something out of what I've shared. But in the process of that, if you felt God speaking to you, don't let it just go by. God is here. Come out the front. I'd love to pray with you. And particularly if any of those personal words that I shared are for you. I'd be honoured to pray with you and believe for God's presence and power that is here to touch your life. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks, Hans. If you could all stand, we're just going to worship just a bit longer. This song is a bit of a declaration of God, God in us, that we're, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. This morning, let, let us just embrace God's love for us and understand that it's not us, but it's Christ in us and and He just He just wants to embrace us this morning. service in prayer. God, you are holy. We open the gates to you this morning. We ask for your power and love and strength in our lives. We pray for your love and wisdom to shine in our lives this week. Thank you for the opportunity to be uh, in your loving presence. Amen. Thank you, church. That's the end of the service. Um, Tea and coffee's in the back. Uh, For those who uh, would like prayer, either if Um, They uh, felt like God was speaking to them when uh, Hans shared uh, a bit about the the words that he'd received. People want to come down and pray with Hans um, or the prayer team will also be here for anybody who um, also wants prayer. So we'll all be over here and we'll keep the music going for a little bit longer. The rest, you're welcome to go in the back and join us for tea and coffee. Thank you.